Well, good morning, church. It's good to be here. As Pastor Paul said, uh, my name is Pastor Joe, and if this is your first time, uh, welcome. We're glad that, that you're here. But usually at this point, I'm walking off the stage right about now. In fact, I kind of have to confess a little bit like I missed being up here, but the team did such a great job and so uh, grateful for such uh, faithful workers here in our church. But um, I just want you to know before we get into the message, just what a joy it is to lead our church family and worship here. I just so appreciate uh, what God is doing here. And from the moment that my wife, Julie, and I and our kids came about three years ago now, we have felt like this is family, like this is home. And uh, we've felt like we're a part of the community and what God is doing here. And so excited about that. So um, it's a privilege for me now, though, to lead you in worship through the ministry of the word. All right. So I'm super grateful for that opportunity. And Right now, we're continuing on in our series, the, uh, the Fruits of the Spirit. We're looking at the different facets of the fruit of the Spirit. And this morning, we're going to be looking at faithfulness, as you might have guessed from the songs that we've already been singing this morning. Um, so grab your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew 25, verse 14. We're going to read that together. So I would invite you, if you're able, if you can, let's stand in honor to God's Word and we will read that together, Matthew twenty-five, fourteen through 30. It says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested the money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the one talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, 
in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. God, as we look into your word this morning, we confess that we need your help to understand it. We need your help to apply it. And as we look at the different facets of the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, we want that to be a part of our lives. We want to uh, be an image bearer of Christ. We want to uh, think and move and have our being amongst the desires of the Spirit, not the desires of the flesh. And so this morning we ask that you would open your word to our hearts and our minds as only you can do, and you would teach us with it. In your name that we pray, the name of Jesus, amen. You can be seated. So I don't know what's on your TV lately, but in our house, when the Olympic Games are on, that's what wins the remote. Isn't there just something kind of magnificent about competing on a world scale? It's it's inspiring. The stories, the, the dedication, the world records, and the disappointments, the intensity of it all, right? But let's be honest. There's, there's a few things about the Olympics that I find kind of weird. And I always find myself asking, do, do people really devote their lives to being the best in the world at things like water polo or artistic swimming or race walking? In case you're not aware, race walking is racing without running. And if we're being honest, uh, I kind of think it really just looks like people practicing their best shimmy to the bathroom very, very quickly (laughs) should the need arise suddenly. But I think my favorite event for the Olympic Games is the modern pentathlon. Have you heard of that? It's uh, combined swimming and fencing, uh, equestrian jumping, cross country, and pistol shooting. Pretty cool. It's kind of patterned after the, the characteristics of a good cavalry man. Pretty cool. In the past, the Olympic Games have included some crazy things, even pistol dueling. I'm sure how you, you know, come away with that. But. And in, in Paris in 1900, they even did a test event introducing poodle clipping. <laughs> Most poodles clipped in two hours, gold medal. 17 poodles later. But for some reason, I guess, it just never, never caught on. But sometimes I wonder, uh, it, it, it makes me wonder what all the extraordinary talents that we have in this world, do, do, do some of those really warrant a world competition? But when we look at the amazing talents of people around the world, the word talents is not really what Jesus was talking about here in Matthew 25. In fact, the first century man would not have had to sit through this crazy introduction because he would have immediately understood uh, that a talent is not referring to an amazing ability one might have, though it could include that. The meaning of a talent in the Greek is just referring to an amount of money, more specifically kind of a, a weight of measurement of money. And it's not too shabby either. It's a pretty significant amount of money. And a lot of commentators think that it would be equivalent to somewhere uh, for today around a million dollars or even more. But was Jesus really just trying to teach his disciples about handling money? I don't think so. The talents in this parable simply represent that God has entrusted 
to us by way of responsibilities, opportunities, and resources that we have on this earth. God owns it all. We're just stewards of everything that he's given to us, right? So it may include money. It may include God-given abilities. But certainly it's more than that. But you might ask, why is this idea of the talent so important in the middle of a series on the fruit of the Spirit? Let me give you some context. So we're here in Matthew 25, but earlier, even in chapter 24, Jesus is teaching his disciples uh, about what things will be like when he's gone, and he tells them uh, uh, that he will be coming back. And he uses several parables leading up to this one to teach how to wait, how to wait between his first and second comings. And so the point for us in our parable today considers faithfulness with all that God has entrusted to us. So here, let me give you the, the big idea. The big idea is this. Kingdom waiting produces faithful workers. Kingdom waiting produces faithful workers. So in the story that we read, the master goes on a long journey to prepare for his journey. He calls three of his servants and entrusts them with a large sum of money of his wealth. And he he entrusts these talents to the servants. And what they do over time with these talents, while the master is on his journey, will give them the opportunity to grow in faithfulness. It's really a pretty simple story, and I think the application becomes obvious. It's probably one of those rare times where the phrase, easier said than done, is not an overstatement, right? But the analogy is really pretty obvious. The talents equal responsibilities, opportunities, and resources that God has given us. The master is God, and we are the servants who are supposed to be faithful until he comes. When I think of faithfulness, I start to think of some names and faces of people that I know. Can you? I think of my youth pastor growing up, Pastor Bud Hall. He was one of those guys that just encouraged me and and challenged me and also uh, gave me opportunity to step out of my my comfort zone on a lot of things. And is really the reason why the Lord... um, called me into full-time ministry was through my youth pastor, Pastor Bud Hall. And I can remember years later when I uh, was in my first ministry, and I remember talking with uh, our, my youth pastor who had by then moved to uh, Long Island, New York, and he invited me to come out, me and Julie to come out and, and hang with him and minister at his church and do some, some singing and some preaching there. And it was just, it was an awesome experience to be able to kind of do that with him. And I just remember that whole time we were there just, you know, taking in, just asking advice from him and just being able to glean from him. But the Lord called him home much earlier than anyone thought. In fact, he was only 55 when the Lord called him home. And I had the opportunity to actually uh, do a song at his funeral, which was a huge blessing to me, because of all that he had impacted me in my own life. Um, but I remember something his wife, Sandy, said. Um, she would talk about this. She said, you know, Bud did exactly what he wanted to do. He always said that he wanted to go out with his boots on. And I thought, man, that's faithfulness. Just keeping on all the way until the end. That's what I want to be. 
So when I read this story, man, I want to be faithful, don't you? I can't think of any sweeter words to hear spoken over me by my Savior than when I see his face and to hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. But in order to produce this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, I think we're going to need much more than just an eager resolve to be faithful, right? I mean, are you always faithful? How about when it gets difficult? When the waves come crashing in over you? When people around you seem to be rewarded for their unfaithfulness? Or how about when, when you just messed up? Or when you've just given up and let others down? Have you been unfaithful in your work or in your family and responsibilities or even in your marriage? Do you know what makes all the difference? See, the the starting block toward growing in faithfulness is not to chase faithfulness itself. It's first knowing who the master is. That's what makes all the difference. So there's three points that we're going to walk through and Let me give you those, and then we'll walk through them together. The first one is wait as those who know the master. Wait as those who know the master. The second is work as those who wait for the master. And thirdly, wait as those who will be welcomed by the master. So let's look at the master. So number one, wait as those who know the master. So in the point, in the, in the parable, the point is that uh, we already said the big idea, kingdom waiting produces faithful workers. And if that's true, then we've got to have a right understanding of the king of the kingdom so we can serve him, right? Um, you don't have to turn here, but let me put on the screen uh, briefly uh, the Galatians passage that we've looked through many times in this series. And in that section, there's, there's a whole list of things that are... Uh, works of the flesh, and then there's a whole list of things that are fruits of the Spirit, right? They're all fruit of the Spirit. And in between those two lists, there's kind of a transition statement that that is there in verse 21. And it says this, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the what? The kingdom of God. Do such things referring to works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. But notice in our parable here in Matthew 25, it says in verse 14, for it will be like a man. Well, what is it? The beginning of chapter 25, these parables are linked, and Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven. And so he repeats that in our parable. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey. Well, the, what is the kingdom of heaven? I think the point is that Jesus is teaching us about how kingdom living works. It's upside down. It's opposite than the world's kingdom. It's opposed to the Spirit. And if we're going to exhibit a kingdom kind of waiting that produces faithfulness, then we must know the character of the king, the master. So faithfulness, by definition, is would really be just trustworthy, reliable, steadfast, loyal. This is how the psalmist talks about God. This is how he celebrates the faithfulness of God. And I'll put it on the screen on Psalm 89. Let's just walk through a few of those verses and get a picture. 
says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. And we've already been doing that this morning. We've been singing of God's faithfulness. But the psalmist is struck by the picture of God. And he responds by singing and declaring it. It goes on, For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. God's faithfulness is wider than eternity and higher than the heavens. Going on, he says, You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. He proves his faithfulness in doing exactly what he said that he would do. And this whole psalm celebrates the covenant that he made to David. And he says, I will establish your offspring forever. Did he keep that promise? He did. Jesus came as God incarnate in the line of David. And so it says he will build your throne for all generations. That promise filters even down to us. Going on, let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him? O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? No one compares to the faithfulness of God. In fact, it's true that God remains faithful even when we're not. Remember in Lamentations, Jeremiah was heartbroken because Jerusalem was destroyed and taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar's army. And it was really because of their own unfaithfulness. And he writes this, and we sang this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never came to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God remains faithful. Even the book of Galatians where we find the fruits of the Spirit, the whole thing he's trying to address there is the, the, the fickleness of the people. It says in Galatians 1.6, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. Just underscores the fact that we need a faithful view of God. We need the Spirit working. To help us. So if we go back to the parable, we see the, the devastating effects upon the wicked servant because he didn't know the master like the other two servants. So after the master leaves, the, the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy, they get right to work with their talents, right? They double their profits, and then when the master returns, he says to them, what? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a little I will set you over much. Enter into the, to my joy. Wow, that's awesome. But listen to the response of the one talent guy. I mean, at first, I mean, you kind of feel sorry for him. You're like, man, maybe, you know, maybe he should have got some more, more of those talents. You know, he only got one. But listen to what he says. This is in verse 24 says, I knew you to be what? 
a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. Right away we see that one talent guy had a totally different relationship than five and two talent guy. His view of the master was, was kind of like this. You aren't faithful. I do all the work and you profit. Hmm. You're harsh, lazy, intimidating. You're unfaithful. That's how I knew you to be. And there were, but the master's response hits the issue head on. He says this. You knew me? If you knew me to be harsh, then you should have banked the money and at least gained some of the interest, right? So the master took what little he had and he gave it away. Tragic. But one commentator says this. He says, if you don't know me, it's kind of like what Jesus is is saying in this. If you don't know me, then you don't have anything. You can't be faithful if you don't know the master. And that's where it begins. So look at five and two talent guy. They were invited to enjoy the master's profits with him, even though they were slaves. The master invited him to enjoy the fruits of his labor. What, what kind of master does that? But he gave them more responsibility, opportunity to multiply further. He was generous and gracious with his servants. And they could trust the master because they knew him to be faithful in all that he does. And so our starting point is this. God is faithful. God is the initiator of faithfulness, not us. He invites us to know him as faithful. Listen, we're slaves. And we've been given the, the, the talents, the wealth of the king to steward. He knew the servants so intimately. He gave them each according to their ability. And he knows us before the foundations of the world. And he wants you and I to know his faithfulness. So how do you know the master? How do you know him? That I always think of that famous quote by Tozer, that what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. How true is that? But do you struggle to see God as trustworthy, reliable, steadfast, loyal? Is your view of God maybe tainted by the earthly relationships and circumstances that we go through? That colors the way that we think about God. It's real. My encouragement to us is don't let those things shape your view of God, but run to the word by the power of the spirit and let God tell you himself. And maybe, maybe you, you just need to ask those in your community group as well, or those around you, how has God been faithful to them? And let that encourage you when you need it. Sandy Wilson puts it this way. Even if you question God's faithfulness, he does not. Hmm. It's comforting. So if we know the master to be generous, gracious, and faithful, how then are we motivated to be faithful servants while we wait for Jesus to return? So we said that kingdom waiting produces faithful workers, and we said that 
we wait as those who know the master. But number two, we work as those <clears throat> who wait for the master. God has entrusted you and I with a, an abundance of his talents to invest. He loved us first. So let's, let's get hard at work and let's be motivated by the power of the Spirit, by the faithfulness of our God until he returns. But at this point, you might be saying to me, well, yeah, Joe, but it kind of sounds like works righteousness here. I mean, doesn't Jesus say, come unto me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest? The incredible rest that Jesus offers is a resting from seeking the approval of God. You don't have to work to earn God's favor. That's works righteousness. But we're what? Declared righteous because Jesus did all the work required for us to have favor with God. And he has brought us into a right relationship with God. That's justification. And that's amazing. And then there's sanctification, which is how we begin now to put into practice by the power of the Spirit these things. The book of James also teaches us this. You know, a, a faith without works is a dead kind of faith. Our faithfulness is an evidence of God working in us. Love how David Strain says it. He says, Faithfulness marks Christians not as the ground of their acceptance with God, but as the evidence of it. It's an evidence. So let's take a look at the servants in the parable and let's see how uh, the servants work faithfully as they wait for the master. But to do that, there'll be a few observations I want to make. And these observations will help us to understand how do we work, what does it look like? So observation number one, the assignment. Work as slaves with an assignment from the master. Jesus tells us that the master distributed the talents to each according to his ability. That's there in verse 15. He says, To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and to each according to his ability. How did he determine that? Do you think he just handed them out randomly? No, the master knew his servants intimately, and he knew them inside and out. Why is that interesting for us? Because it's the same for us. We have an all-wise Father who has created us all differently. He is sovereign over where he has placed us, and he has given us different abilities, capacities, and even limitations. And in this parable, the standard of faithfulness isn't equal amount of ability. It was that the servants used whatever they had to make more for the master. That is why he could be called a faithful servant. But we don't always get to pick our assignments, do we? Many of you know um, my son Bradley, who's 10. And, you know, I think if you knew him, if you watched him interact with his sister, you'd say, you'd probably say, you know, he's, he's a pretty good big brother. He watches over her. He, he, he protects her. He makes sure she's not doing anything she shouldn't be when they're out and about. It's kind of funny. Um, but that's, that's his big brotherliness at work, right? And then there's Audra, and she's the younger si sibling. And she has her own little sisterliness about her where she knows just the right buttons to push, right? 
as any good younger sibling uh, might have that skill. And just this, this past week, there was a little skirmish that we had to take care of, and they were at each other, and they were frustrated. And, and so after it was over, we sat, I sat down on the bed with Bradley, and we were talking about you know, what would happen and what our share responses be and all this. And as we talked through that, he, he said this to me. He said, man, being a big brother is sometimes the worst. <laughs> I know he didn't mean that, but in the moment, what was he saying? He was saying, I don't like the assignment that God gave me. Why do I got to be the big brother? Right? But do you ever wonder why God has placed you where he has? I do, many times. You might feel it's too much. You might feel like it's not enough. Or maybe it's just, this isn't ideal. But if you're having a difficult time because um, you don't really like the assignment, um, we need to run to the Savior, to the Master. Maybe you're jealous of someone else's assignment. Let's comfort ourselves with this word. God is sovereign, and he has given the, the body of Christ a variety of, of assignments, all for his glory. And he is fully aware of what he has given you to steward, just as the master was fully aware of what he gave to the servants. God intimately knows what he has given you to steward for his glory. Thankful for that. Observation two, an urgency. Work with urgency for the master as you wait. The story tells us that when when the master entrusted the talents to the servants, that both the five-talent guy and two-talent guy went what? It says in verse uh, 16, he who had received the five talents went at once. He went at once. They probably had a good idea that the master was going to be gone for a long while. But they got right to work. But one talent guy, what did he do? He went out to the shed and he grabbed his shovel and he started digging, buried his talents and sat down. Even Jesus had an urgency. This is what he told the disciples when he was teaching them in John 9. He says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. I think the temptation for us is that we can waste our time away and become complacent in the mission of God. It's just easy, right? I came across this pie chart that showed, you know, if you took all the activities that you do in the course of a life, average life of 78 years, and how you'd break it all down into hours and minutes and days and years, it it said that we spend 23.3 years sleeping. Wow. You're like, I don't get that much sleep. Ten and a half years working. So you totaled it all up. Or this one, nine years watching TV or social media or playing video games. Whew. It's crazy to think how much we spend our time and activities. And maybe even with the pandemic, all this has been shaken up. But the point is that we have a mission as servants, and we only have so much time. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back, and we don't know how long we have on this earth, so we need to be thoughtful stewards with the time that we have, multiplying it for the kingdom of God, just like the servants. With the limited time that we've all been given, 
I think we need to ask ourselves this question. Man, what is the Spirit leading me to do or not do in this season? It's a great time before we hit the fall just to consider that. Like, God, not, not my plans, but in this season, in this coming fall, what do I need to do? Or maybe what do I not need to do? Maybe I don't need to add another thing to my life, but I just need to ask the Spirit, Lord, how can I be faithful with what I have now in front of me? Maybe I, don't, maybe I, I do need to, to maybe cut some things out of my life so I have time to feed my soul and maybe to spend with my community group or intentionally discipling my children or, or caring for an aging parent or a neighbor, working on my marriage. There's all the many things on our schedule. Man, I know I so easily forget that, our, that my schedule belongs to the master. So it's an urgency. Observation number three, it's often ordinary. Like, where do you get that? Well, if you look at, see, verse 16, he says, they, they went at once and, and traded with them, and he made five talents more. Right, okay, what's so special about that? Well, it's pretty ordinary. He traded. It's, the idea is that he, he put the money to work. He, he was, you know, buying and selling and, and trying to start businesses and probably had to em, employ some, some people to do work. And so sometimes it's just ordinary people doing ordinary things. And what's extraordinary is the Spirit, His work to align our hearts with His kingdom. In the day-in, day-out routines of our lives, sometimes faithfulness just doesn't feel very special. Maybe it's not glamorous, or you feel like, man, I don't think anyone sees. Sometimes it just looks like cultivating habits in our lives that bring us to Christ over and over again. I love how James K.A. Smith tells us this in his book, The Spiritual Power of Habit. He says this, Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. A vision encapsulated by the shorthand, what? Kingdom, the kingdom of God. See, God is working on us over time. And sometimes it's just the ordinary ways that he uses to produce extraordinary faithfulness. Colossians tells us, work, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's who we serve. But let's be honest. It's a battle to, to crucify the flesh. We're not always faithful, are we? In fact, if we were to look a few chapters later from this Matthew passage, we would see Peter, and he vowed that he would never deny his Lord, right? And then what happens? He denies him three times. Peter was devastated by his unfaithfulness. And later in John 21, after the resurrection, Jesus asks Peter a question three times. And he uses this question to, to draw out the depths of his heart for his master. He says, do you love me? 
Peter answers him three times. Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. You know all things. Jesus wanted Peter to pursue him. Just loves his longings. In fact, Jesus wants to give us more than just our assignments. Check out the words that the master speaks to both servants when they offered their prophets to the Lord in verse 21. You've heard us say it. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Now enter into the joy of your master. Number three, wait as those who are welcomed by the master. We can be assured that if we run to Jesus with our responsibilities, our opportunities, our resources, that he will be faithful to faithfully bring us home. He delights in making you faithful. John 6 says, all those who come to Jesus, he will never cast out like the servant, the wicked servant. God always keeps his promises to his people. Listen to the promise that he makes to Moses and his covenant people after they prove their unfaithfulness by worshiping the golden calf. In Deuteronomy 7, we'll put it on the screen, it says, But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And listen, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. Know him. The faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God was faithful to keep Moses in all that he had called him to do. And Moses wasn't perfect. But look at what the writer of Hebrews calls him in Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3, 5 says this, Now Moses was, what? Faithful in all God's house as a what? As a servant. To testify to the things that were to be spoken later. How can Moses be faithful? He couldn't even make it into the promised land because of his disobedience. Church, it's the same way that you and I can be faithful servants. Isaiah refers to Jesus as the suffering servant in our place who paid for our unfaithfulness and all of our wasted moments and wasted years, serving the flesh, wasted motivations, But look at what the writer of Hebrews calls him in comparison to Moses. In Hebrews 3, 6, next verse over. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a what? As a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Let's be a a church that has eyes to see God's faithfulness and ears to hear the Spirit's leading in us to wait for Jesus' return and to work for him by the power of the Spirit. It was Jesus who made it all possible for us to hear these wonderful words. Well done, good, faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, this life, a little but I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, 
All along, it was God doing the work in us and through us. And he has welcomed us now to enjoy the joy that he has with his Father. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 is a promise for us. It's talking about even after all this work, this sanctifying work that the Spirit is doing through us, he says, He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it.